Good morning, everybody. It's Jeff Goldberg for the Sales Pro Network. It is Friday, let's see, October 27th. We're almost at the end of October. Oh my goodness, two months till the end of the year. Uh, before I get to that, I'll tell you that I am a sales coach and trainer. I work with both individuals and organizations internationally to help them do one thing and one thing only, get measurable and sustainable sales increases. And I founded the Sales Pro Network a little over three years ago to elevate the profession of sales, to create a place where salespeople could come and network with each other, learn to earn and excel. And if you've been with us before, you know that every Friday at 10 a.m., I either do a live training or I bring in a guest and interview them, somebody who can add value to the profession of sales. And of course, today is no exception, my friends. Uh, if you're watching us live, please say hello in the comments. If you're watching us live on Facebook and have not connected your account to StreamYard, when you say hello or you ask a question, it won't say your name. It'll just say Facebook user. So if you're on Facebook and please and do uh, say hello or have a question for our guest today, please do include your name. If you're watching us on the replay, please put replay in the comments. And today I have to give you a, a message that I've never given before. Uh, and it actually applies to both myself and our guest today. I've been having computer problems for the last week. My computer intermittently freezes. There's no rhyme or reason to it. So if during this broadcast, things go dark for a second, it just means I had to shut down my computer. Give me three or four minutes. Hopefully our guest won't get shut down and he can talk to you while I'm uh, coming back on, but we will come back on and do the whole show. I apologize in advance if that happens, but my fingers are crossed that we make it through this entire hour. And as I think you might be able to see, our guest is having some internet issues. Uh, I don't know if you see him clearly, he looks fuzzy to me, but he's well worth listening to. Mike Corey is a sales growth expert, uh, and he says that sales knots strangle growth and Mike untangle sales knots. So it's my pleasure to welcome my guest. Good morning, Mike. Good morning. Yeah, and hopefully uh, my voice isn't as fuzzy as I am. <laughs> good morning, John Hill. It's good to see you. And thank you for being with the Sales Pro Network. Good morning, Bruce Kasserman. Uh, by the way, thank you, Bruce, as always, for your recommendation to that fantastic band, Floyd Nation. I saw them last Sunday. Absolutely unbelievable. So, Mike, uh, before I get to the million and one questions I have for you, because you are a sales growth expert, uh, can you maybe give us the two minute background of your sales background and what brought you up to this part, this moment? Yeah. Well, you know, like many people, it was an accidental career uh, out of school. Uh, the original plans didn't work out uh, even before I graduated. Uh, so the job I was supposed to have didn't materialize and uh, I found myself in sales. And uh, like many also, it you know, I wanted to do better than what I was. And so I started seeking out training on my own and, and, and trying to learn and uh, work through a variety of healthcare medical device companies uh, outsource services companies, and uh, most recently helped a friend grow a uh, consulting business from $6 million to just under $50 million. And through that, really started to systematize a lot of the things that I had learned and uh, had an opportunity to take that exit and, and start my own consulting firm. Gotcha. Yes, I, I love what you just said. You know, like so many people, you wound up in sales by accident. Me too. I mean, very few people grow up and go, you know what? I really want to be a salesperson because that seems like a great, sexy job where I could make a ton of money. It turns out that it can be a sexy job and it's certainly a place where you can make a ton of money. But very few people go to school and go, sales, that's what I want to do. Uh, exactly. Um, and before I ask my first question, I just realized I mentioned something. I'd love to get your take on it. Uh, so we're in the last two, we're, we're just a couple of days away from the last two months of the year, and we're coming up on Thanksgiving and Christmas, the holidays. Any particular advice that you have for people to close out the, the, the year strong and set up their 2024? Yeah, I would say don't take the foot off 
the gas, um, especially building pipeline. Um, everybody talks about how you know nobody's in the office and nobody answers the phone and you know nobody, nobody, nobody. And you know that's a bunch of baloney. Uh, there are people that take time off, and we need you need to take that time off. But there's no better time to be building your Q1 and not have a big dip, and or finish the year strong by just staying on it. And so. Certainly, give yourself time off and and you know enjoy the holidays, but don't let up on the activities that that get you the success you need. That, that, that advice, <laughs> excuse me, is so on the money. And I've I've said those same words so many times. Don't take your foot off the gas. I find that uh, you know so many salespeople have what I call head trash. Well, once Thanksgiving Thanksgiving hits, you can't sell anymore during the year, so you might as well not try. That's ridiculous. You can absolutely close business today. Two days after that, well, two days after Thanksgiving would be a Saturday, but, uh, uh, you know, f between Christmas and New Year's, I, I make it my business to close business the week between Christmas and New Year's. Every If I have to sandbag a deal just so I can close it that week, I do it just so I can stand in front of audiences and say, I closed business that week. Why didn't you? But that, that head trash about you can't do any business, nobody's around. Is it harder to reach people maybe a little bit? Maybe. But there's maybe. still people. Maybe you got to make a few more calls, send a few more emails. But absolutely right. Don't take your foot off the gas. Because if you do, when 2024 rolls around, you're going to be dead in the water and now you got to rebuild. Perfect. So here's what I want to know first, Mike. What is a sales knot and what are some examples of sales knots? Sure. Uh, so a sales knot uh, has a really high tech definition. It's something you're doing or not doing that is strangling your growth. And it really came out of uh, my, my son and my son-in-law teasing me uh, when we were fly fishing uh, because I have a tendency to, I love fly fishing, but I'm not always the most accurate with my cast. And so I have a tendency to get my flies tangled up in the trees all around the, all around the streams. And I realized one of them teased me one day that like, you know, you're not fishing, you know, you're just, you're just tangling up trees. And it, it made me think about the things that happen in companies uh, we often joke about, you know, calling it the sales prevention department, but, you know, maybe you're not prospecting, maybe you're not prospecting the right clients. Maybe the company is not giving you the right tools. Um, maybe you don't have the right sales process. So, you, so you're not following anything consistently. Uh, you know, knowledge not being used correctly, coaching not being evident, uh, not having an effective means of accountability like those are all different types of sales knots and there, there are literally thousands of them uh usually as you know and, and your audience probably knows it's going to fall down into prospecting coaching systems and processes you know those things that you just there's a reason vince lombardi started every football season going you know gentlemen this is a football and, and started with the fundamentals i mean sales was really about doing the fundamentals and, and getting good at them and doing them consistently. I could not agree more. Uh, you know, it, it's so funny when I work with clients, I tell them, look, I'm not going to teach your people anything fancy or coaching clients, you know, one-on-one -on -one or, or corporations. You know, all I'm going to teach them is the fundamentals because the fundamentals are what works. You want something Absolutely. fancy, go hire somebody else. That's not me. I'm going to take them right down to the basics. And, and you know, uh, my my son took karate for uh, a year. I used to go to the uh, classes with him and you know watch what he was doing. Same exercises every time. It was all the fundamentals to create that muscle memory. Uh, you know, football players, baseball players, they're practicing the fundamentals each and every day when they're not actually playing. So I'm with you a million percent. And, and I, I did see that you're you're an avid fly fisherman. I'm glad you brought that up. 
uh, besides tangling up knots in trees, has fly fishing taught you anything else about selling? Oh, all kinds of stuff. Um, patience, um, it not fighting, uh, not fighting the current. Uh, it, you know, if you look at, you know, a, a river is kind of like the, the business community uh, and it's flowing. It's going to flow whether you're there or not. So you've got to step into the stream and you've got to step in and then you've got to move with what's going on. And, you know, number one, you got to fish where the fish are. You know, if you're prospecting in the wrong spot, if I'm throwing my fly in the trees, I'm not fishing. I might be out there. I might have my waders on. I might, you know, I might look like I'm doing the stuff, but I'm not. So you've, you've got to understand the, you know, the flow of business, especially for your clients. You've got to understand, you know, where you can help them, what obstacles are in the way. Often, um, you know, my glasses are a little reflective. I have those blue glasses. I, I wear polarized glasses so you can see through the water so you know where you're walking. You know, if you take a wrong step with waders on, uh, you can have a really, really bad day. So it's very much metaphorical of like what you have to deal with. You get to step into that stream and then, you know, how do you help your clients achieve the goals that they want to achieve? Mm. Love that. I especially love what you said about fish where the fish are biting. Can't tell you how many times I've given that exact advice also. And the example I always give is if you've ever seen the movie, The Perfect Storm, you know, it's George Clooney and, you know, uh, Mark Wahlberg and, you know, they're, they're fishermen and they're going out and they, they get out there. They can't catch fish to save their lives. Terrible things are happening. Guy crawls overboard. Everything's breaking. Just horrible. And Clooney, as the captain goes, Hey, I know. Let's go someplace else and fish. And they go someplace else and fish. And the fish are like jumping out of the water into the boat. They can't not catch fish. Exactly. I actually gave that example at a recent training. And a guy raised his hand and said, uh, don't they all die at the end of the movie? Yes, it may not be a perfect example, but you do have to fish with the fish are biting on. Well, and, and we are all going to die at the end. So, you know, we might as well go where the fish are until that time comes. <laughs> I'm with you. Now, I read something else interesting about you. You had a conversation with your wife about art that changed the way you thought about sales process. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, so I was struggling. Um, I, I had moved to this capital sales uh, with a, a top healthcare device company. So I went from, you know, selling things that, you know, cost five cents to, you know, $50 to, you know, $50,000 pieces of capital equipment. And I was stuck. I, I was uh, I was in a bunch of deals. I was flailing. I didn't you know I didn't know what to do. Uh, you know, come to find out later, our company did not have a sales process. So think about that: a billion and a half dollar healthcare market leader, no sales process. I was frustrated. I didn't know what to do. You know, I I had done all the demos. I you know thought I had talked to people. I thought I had uncovered need. And I was I was talking to my wife about. Uh, she was telling me about how people learn to draw. Like, you know, how do people even become good at it? I, you know, I can't hardly write, uh, read my, my my scratches. And so she started telling me about, you know, well, you start with a line and you learn to, you know, curve a line and then you learn to add shadow and then then you add depth of field. And then, you know, the, and she's like, she's explaining this process. And kind of the light bulb hit me. It's like, well, there's got to be a process. There's got to be a process for selling. So I started researching, you know, and found out, you know, lo and behold, there's such a thing called sales process and, you know, bores the tears out of most people, but it's what fired me up because I realized, wait a minute, if you can, if you can systematize it and I should take one step back, 
my whole college background was uh, industrial management, manufacturing. And I, I was supposed to, you know, supposed to have a job at General Motors growing up in the Flint, Michigan area. Yeah, but they decided they should lay off 25% of their workforce. Um, and they, so they rescinded the job. And it, was, and it was great. I'm glad they did. But it was that learning of process and the system systemization of things, hearing that conversation from my wife that just, you know, turned the light on. Then I started researching sales process and I researched, you know, oh, here's all the steps I missed. You know, here's a step I thought, well, if you just talk to them about, you know, how cool the thing is and, and all the cool stuff that will happen, they're going to think it's really cool. Well, if they happen to be at the point of needing to buy that really cool thing and it lines up with all the things in their head, sure. But for most cases, no. And so, you know, I started going way back to the beginning of many deals and, you know, covering all those those instances that I had missed because I had no clue about the proper progression of selling. Yeah, brilliant. Uh, that, that's what I find with so many salespeople. You, you said it before, most of us fall into sales by accident and very few treat it like a real career uh, right. where, where they have to read a book or go to a seminar or do something. I mean, there's a million ways to learn how to sell, including freeway. I mean, there, there are videos by guys like you and me on YouTube that you can watch. Not all of them great, but some of them really good and they're free. You've got to treat it like a career, the career that it is because the the nearly or often unlimited monetary potential in sales for people who may not have any other skills. I'm a college dropout. I'm not proud of that, but I'm a college dropout. I had two years of college and I do okay because I, when I, I got very lucky early on in my career, I went, worked for Encyclopedia Britannica and they had a great training program. And I realized that, oh, training, I, I can actually learn how to do this. So I still, to this day, read most of the books that come out. And I still attend seminars and listen to other trainers like you because you never know what somebody else knows that you don't or what somebody's come up with a little twist on it that's going to make you a little more effective. But it, it's a great way to make a living. My, my, my stepfather actually said this. Um, he said, sales is a great career and here's why. Every morning you get to wake up, look yourself in the mirror and give yourself a raise. And then all you have to do is go out and earn it. And that's stuck yeah. with me. All, he's long since passed away, but uh, it's stuck with me all this time. And good morning, Adam Rabinovich. Thank, thank you for joining us today. So um, That's great advice. I, he, he, he was a crazy guy in some ways, but really smart about selling. Um, so how would you describe the current state of sales? Sure. Um, <laughs> How's that for a broad question? Yeah. Uh, well, so, you know, since we're dealing with salespeople, you know, I'll be honest. It, it, all the research would indicate that we have a huge quality problem, that, that it's broken, and, and that we have uh, we have violated the trust of a lot of our clients. Um, all, all of the buyer surveys indicate that uh, they want to go it alone. They want to, they want a rep free experience or, or, or they want a digital experience or, you know, uh, Gartner uses the term, you know, multi-channel. Um, I, I think we've let it get away because we forgot, uh, about the value of relationships. And I think the humanizing, the rehumanizing of sales is what's going to be uh, ultimately the greatest success for us going forward. Because despite the fact that they don't want to work with salespeople, and that's, you know, multiple surveys from Gartner and you know, CSO Insights when they're around and Corn Ferry album, you know, it's over 70 some percent of all generations in the workforce want to go a rep free experience. On the other hand, we know 
anecdotally, everyone on your podcast knows, and you and I know that most of the time clients make the wrong decision. You know, if you have an RFP, at best, an RFP is going to get 40% of, of what their original intended goals were. Uh, there's a, a book out recently about how many large projects go bad, like literally 91.5% of all major projects fail in budget, time, or scope. So they don't want to work with us, but yet they don't do the right stuff. And in between is that huge opportunity where if we show up with the intention of adding value, well, how do I make that happen? Um, if we show I know, but I think I'm having an acid flashback from the 60s. <laughs> if we show up adding value, we can fix what is, you know, what is broken. And, you know, and a lot of it's not our fault. A lot of people are mistaking like the really bad marketing that took place during the pandemic when we were all locked in our homes. Many of these companies just loaded up the spam cannons and just, you know, unleashed it. Uh, so I think it's I think it's broken. I think it's knotted up. I think a lot of people are lost because um, it's kind of failing the sales reps. It's failing the customers and it's failing the companies because we don't get the results we want. But I think it's eminently repairable. And and I am actually very, very bullish on the future uh, because of humans. I mean, that's ultimately uh, that's what I'm, that's what I'm banking on. AI is going to be interesting, you know. Uh, the the internet's going to continue to grow, and, but um, it, to me, it's the humans that I'm banking on. Yeah, uh, it, it, it's interesting you say this because, um, look, we have a bad reputation. We as salespeople have a bad reputation. And look, years and years ago, when I first started, there were a lot of con artists out there and people who were willing to lie, cheat, and steal to take people's money away. And obviously, still are. there are still people like that. Sure, I think it's less, but. We're still fighting that built-in perception over years and years that salespeople are liars and thieves and cheats. Uh, to me, it's we have to change that. We as salespeople have to change that perception. We do that by serving our prospects, serving our customers. Absolutely. I believe we have, I, I'm pointing to my gut right now. You can't see it, but uh, uh, you have to deep inside you come from, I'm here to serve you. And if I can't, I'll let you know. You won't even have to tell me. And if I can't, let's see if we can work together. But the Absolutely. high pressure, look. I know how to high pressure people. Believe me, selling a $2,000 set of books 45 years ago that people could take, go send their kids to the library to see for free, it was high pressure. We knew it was a one call close. You bought that day or you never bought. And we knew how to pressure people. But the internet really did change everything. Today's consumer on both the consumer and the commercial side are much better educated. And everything I read says the buyer is 70% of the way through the buying journey before they're even willing to talk to a salesperson if they're willing to. I know for right. me, I only want a salesperson when I want a salesperson. Other than that, leave me alone. But right. when I need someone, I want them to take great care of me. I want them to take care of me quickly. And I want them to give me the information I'm asking for, not a bunch of BS. So it's really on us to, to do the right thing and help people uh, change that perception of sales. Otherwise, we're going to all be screwed. And eventually, AI will take over. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree with you. And it, it's in our hands. It, it's in our hands. And it's, it's our, to me, it's our responsibility because knowing that our clients often make the wrong decision like you know if if you if it, it sounds trite and it, you know it, it it's used in a lot of uh the old school um sales training if, if you knew what you had did great things for your client why would you not want to share that 
And I think a lot of people didn't, you know, myself included, you know, didn't internalize that at first. It's like, well, you know, who, who really needs that? But that becomes the motivation of learning more about your client's world to figure out, you know, how that does impact them. And then, of course, if you're selling something that doesn't, you know, here's the beauty for all the salespeople in the audience right now. There's not enough humans to do the work for the next 20 years. And if you're good at sales, uh, there's even fewer people that want to, you know, be salespeople. So the demand is going to go up, which means, the, you know, we have one of the greatest opportunities for earning turnarounds since the Industrial Revolution. It's going to take place over the next 20 years because there's just simply not enough people in the uh, in the workforce. Yeah, and, and it seems that uh, my friend, Dr. Rich Atkins, who uh, is a terrific customer service and communications uh, trainer, agrees with me that when you want a salesperson, you want to, he says, uh, on most voice menus, he's screaming, agent, agent, agent. Yeah, when we want you, we want you. I can't tell you how many times I've been on the phone. I did it just last night. I'm like, representative. It's like, I want to strangle yeah. somebody. Just let me talk to a human. So we need to we need to somehow create the, the perception that it's okay to talk to us uh, because we are going to do the right thing. And good morning, Don Levine. Thank you for joining us too. But what about, uh, has anything changed about the relationship uh, between the buyer and the seller that we should know about? Well, post-pandemic, everybody's uh, trust declined and the fear increased. And they are really looking at, do I want to do this with you? You know, I think there was, um, you know, I love the Challenger sale. I think the Challenger sale when it came out was was brilliant. Um, the idea of insights, the idea of helping the client see things that they didn't uh, understand or didn't know uh, is like, who wouldn't want to sell that way? It's, it's fabulous. But I think that's part of what broke the relationship because many companies did not do the research. And this is leadership's fault. This is like CEO on down. They did not do the research to provide real insights to salespeople. Nor did they train us how to do uh, effective, empathetic description. So if you read the challenge sale, everybody defaulted to just like, well, I'm just going to disrupt the process. And basically, we became a bunch of jerks. Uh, you know, and so you have to you have to earn that right. You know, disruption and insights are, are brilliant and everybody loves that. And if you can be the guy that gives a day, you know, that says, hey, well, you no, know, you don't want to go there. You really need to go here. And here's why. You know, who, that's why we're in it. You know, really sales is about problem solving. But we have to realize that we have a very wary and a very trust, um, uh, reticent buyer right now because everybody's trust was violated during the pandemic. Everybody's fear went up during the pandemic. And everybody's value of time went up dramatically in the pandemic. So we had those, we had something happen to the buyers that we all went through, all generations went through it at the same time that has fundamentally changed. So to your point, yelling at the robot, when we want one, we, we want now, but there's, there's building that trust is much more important now than ever before and helping them make that first decision. Um, again, if you if you read the Jolt Effect, you know, the, so the book that came after the challenge of the same people, they did all those all that research about sales calls during the pandemic, and what we always thought was the status quo bias ended up really being fear. And if you <clears throat> treat fear 
the same way that we were all taught to treat status quo bias, you have an 85% negative effect on your success. So, you know, a lot of what we learned about like, well, they, you know, this is just a status quo bias. So I need to really lean into Jeff to help him realize, hey, here's the pain, here's their ROI, here's all the stuff. And you're going, dude, back off. I'm trying to decide, do I even want to do this? Because I'm fearful. And that fear is what um, really was unknown. And I think that's part of, you know, the way that we showed up ended up exacerbating that. So we really, have to slow down, <clears throat> excuse me, slow down and help that customer understand, you know, where they want to go and why. <clears throat> excuse me, sorry about my throat. Yeah, uh, I, I talk about that in every training I've ever done. Uh, it, 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 there, there is a fear built in and it's certainly gotten worse, but we fear making a mistake. <clears throat> but what if I hire Mike and my sales don't go? What if I hire Jeff and my sales don't go? What if? It's that's brain science. It's just the way the brain works. We automatically think negatively when we're making a buying decision because we're trying to protect ourselves from making that bad decision. And if we don't address that as a salesperson, then we're kind of screwed. And good morning, Ray Aurora. Thanks for coming uh, and joining just us. So, so real quick on that, Jeff. So I, I was sure. at a speaking event and I met a, a neuroscientist. <clears throat> Our brain, when fear triggers in, when, when we are facing the unknown, the blood flow to parts of our brain literally changes. It is a, it's a biological fact that is not able to be overcome without helping guide them along, without helping move them along because the brain, the blood changes where it goes. So, you know, our, it really has to ramp up our empathy on where they're at and what they're dealing with and, and how do we help move them? How do we help them take that first step but that part is is vital because it's it's literally brain biology. Yeah, I, I like the way you said that. How do we help them take that first step? Because the way I, I explain it to people is imagine when you walk into somebody's office, or get on a Zoom call or whatever you want to think. But imagine there's a physical brick wall there that the prospect has built between you and them. And on our side of the wall, they hang a sign that says, I'm not buying anything. And if I do buy something, it's sure not going to be today. And that wall is there to protect them. We have to help them break it down for themselves because we can't break it down for them because we're lying, thieving, scumbag salespeople. But by by doing the sales process correctly, taking them through an actual process where you're listening to them and establishing for and all the things that you know we need to do, you help them break down that brick wall brick by brick for themselves. And that's why I feel a, what I call a verbal truth story, a story about somebody else like you who by doing business with me lived happily ever after helps them to start breaking down that resistance and go, oh, maybe it is okay to work with Mike. Maybe it is okay to work with Jeff. It, it, it's crucial. Absolutely. There's something else that I, I found that, that uh, you say that's interesting. You know, there's a, for, by the way, I love the Challenger Sale book. Terrific. Great stuff. Uh, the only challenge I find with the Challenger Sale is what you said. It, it, it's hard to implement because companies aren't investing in the training for their people to how to be how to correctly be a disruptor and how to have those insights. And it doesn't come naturally to most salespeople. But you say uh, the phrase sales training doesn't work, which I've heard a gazillion times. And by the way, I've said the prospects, sales training doesn't work without reinforcement. But you say it's not really accurate and that the real problem is that most people and most companies don't make it part of their daily pr practice. So what should salespeople and sales organizations be doing on a daily basis regarding training? Well, so if you think of if you're a golfer, um, 
who who just recently won the uh, the British Open? I just I lost lost the person's name. Not not a clue. I do a lot of golfing, but there's always a clown mouth that opens at a windmill. So I didn't know. <laughs> so any other skill based? Let's use you know baseball or football. A quarterback throws every day. A receiver catches every day. Uh, baseball players do batting practice every day. They they practice running the bases every day. If I'm a pianist, I play the piano every day. I play I practice the piano every day. In sales, we're like, well, I want to do a training, you know, Q1. And then maybe we'll do one in Q4 and, and maybe we'll have a breakout at the national sales meeting. And then, you know, maybe your manager coaches you. You know, maybe not. Maybe you're uh, slightly maybe you're more motivated to do better, so you buy books and you do you do self research, which is please do. Um, that's awesome. That 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 alone sets you apart. The problem that we have is that it doesn't get incorporated into our daily work. It's not in. You know, if we have a CRM that's that's worth the dirt it, it came from, uh, it our training that we just went through is not in there. The training is probably not built into our sales process. Our methodology for dealing with our clients has probably not been incorporated, you know, with that same training. So how do we reinforce it every day? And and so this really comes the the system that the company gives to help the salespeople achieve has to be infused with all of this. So if salespeople have to go to training because we have to increase our sales, you better be sending the managers and the managers better go first. And then the managers better, I did the acid trip again, the managers better then build that into their biweekly coaching. And oh, by the way, in your biweekly coaching, it should be about our improvement. You can certainly hold us accountable and, and we know you're going to, but you had better help me with the systems to do my job. So, you know, I, I say sales training doesn't work and it's the best thing ever because if you build the system into it, which is the responsibility of the company, it's the, you know, I come from the Deming School of Quality Management. Uh, and by the way, Deming is the guy that made the Japanese the Japanese. Uh, the American automotive companies told him to get lost. So he went to Japan. Hmm. Look at the difference between <laughs> those companies and ours. But that's what I mean about the difference. If you bring that into your daily practice, if you bring that into your daily work, you will get exponential results. But if it's just episodic, the forgetting curve kicks in and you know it's gone in three days. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm sure you've heard the term many times, just like I have sales training as an event. You know, you bring in a guy yeah. like you or me once a year, or once, once a quarter, something like that. Okay, here's your sales training, but the managers don't reinforce it at all or they don't. Right. Hey, somebody like you and me to do the reinforcement. And I also found, you know, early on in my career, I, I you know, there's a learning curve like any anything else. And the sales managers are quite often, okay, you know, the boss is making us go to sales training. You don't have to pay attention to it. Just keep doing what you're doing, but you got to go smile because that's what our the owner wants us to do. Well, right. For me, I always enrolled the sales managers first. I'm with you. Let's train the managers first. Let's get get them to know their job, and then let's train the salespeople. And if it's not done regularly, it's 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 a way. It's like uh, I'm going to go to the gym once a year and I expect yeah. to be ripped. That, that just doesn't, it's not the way, it, I wish that's the way it worked. It yeah. just doesn't. If only. But yeah, and it's to me the, the biggest frustrating thing is that, you know, when the manager is, you know, just like that, that comment that just came up and left, you know, the managers are like, oh, 
you know, uh, you know, you guys go, you know, here's, here's our song and dance pony. You know, I'm going to go out and, you know, make calls because of course I'm more important. I'm the manager. I'm going to go out there and return calls instead of sitting in here and, you know, hearing what Jeff's trying to do or hearing what Mike's trying to do or hearing what Greg's trying to do or, or Nancy. I mean, it's, we have to, again, this goes back to why our customers, you know, sometimes doubt us. We, we don't treat it like a profession. We, we should be, you know, the person that wins the British Open does not stop practicing putting on Monday. They lift the trophy Sunday night and they're fired up and maybe they take Monday off, but I guarantee Tuesday morning they're putting again and they're practicing. And, Every you know, day. if we did the same thing, if we looked at, if we had game tape, you know, which by the way we do, if you record your Zoom calls and you go back and you watch it and you're like, geez, I talked like nonstop. I got to, like, I need to figure out a question or two to stick in there. Uh, or, or it's like, hey, Jeff, would you listen, you know, would you listen to me while I do this call and, you know, and critique what I'm doing? I think one of the, you, you didn't ask us, but one of the biggest problems that we have are these companies that it, it infuse uh, competition between the sales team. That's the dumbest thing ever because, uh, and Dr. Deming proved this in, um, in what Toyota did is they got rid of all of the uh, internal competition. They got rid of all of the quota-based activities and they moved to team-based activities. They moved to helping each other. It's actually, um, I can't remember the book, but there's a, there's a negative effect unless you are a super competitive person to foster internal competition on a team only breaks the team down. You don't do that in baseball or football uh, or soccer or volleyball or swimming. We might have, I might want to be competing with you because we're friends and we're both trying to do that thing, but to have it infused from leadership, say, well, we're going to create competition. It doesn't work. It's never worked. And it's one of these fallacies that, that remains, you know, these myths that like, oh, I got to foster competition. Well, if you do that, all of your intrinsically motivated people and all of your introverts and ambiverts, which are often better than your extroverts in selling, you're just going to alienate them and they're going to leave. Yeah. Well, what I found, because I spent a lot of my career in sales management, is that the same people win the contests every time. The same people are number one, two, and three. And that's great for them, except the people who are constantly at the bottom are actually demotivated by the competition. Look, you know, leaderboards and all that, you know, plaques and all that stuff, it's lovely, but it's not motivating to the people who don't get them. And, right, right. You know, you know, when you've got a superstar, you can let them fly and go do what you're going to do. Just don't lie, cheat, or steal. But everybody else needs that help. And if you, you were looking at the same one, two, or three people who win every award, win every contest, get all the recognition, it's actually a demotivator. So, there, there's got to be a better way. Tell me a little bit about uh, your selling system. You, you have the guide selling system, right? What is that? Tell, tell us a little bit about that. So one, uh, one of the issues that I saw is, and you talked about it earlier, that the, all the negative stereotypes of salespeople. But I look at what we do as a very honorable, I mean, they're, they're dirt bags, but, you know, they're dirt bags that are priests, you know, so, I mean... <laughs> everything's got it. The human condition is going to always be the human condition. I look at sales as a very noble profession because we actually help solve problems. Ultimately, we are change agents and we help people move from where they are to someplace new. And so taking into account all the stuff in our conversation, not being able to have uh, a, a really good mindset and archetype, not being able to have a sales process, 
uh, and then not being able to build the methodology into the process, I created the guide selling system where you show up with the archetype of a guide. So immediately you can change your demeanor to one of more consultative. The guide sales process uses the term guide and each step of the process is greet, understand, impact, decide, and elevate. So now your methodology is infused in there and then customize um, the understand and impact stages with whatever the company's bespoke, you know, it's, it's bespoke to the company's process. So at the end of the day, I'm certainly using, you know, we're, we're doing everything on the shoulders of giants. So there's elements of challenger that come in. There's elements of, you know, what Sandler learned that comes in, which by the way, he learned from other people. There's, you know, all the basics that are needed get infused in there. But you start with the archetype of a guide and you use a sales process that builds that out and the methodology is the same. So it becomes something that is self-training every day. And then I, I have a CRM that is actually good, uh, which is rare, <laughs> that, uh, that I put it all in. It's easily customizable. And so now it becomes something that they can use every day. And so it, your skills build every day. With your CRM, the, the sales training is actually built in there? Yeah, you can build the sales training right inside there. If I struggle with the money, you know, time, so it gets near the, the to do the impact and, and help them, you know, ROI what the issue is. Uh, if we know that I struggle with that, my actual instance of my CRM can be flagged so that when I get to that stage of the process, you as my manager get an email. Hey, Mike's got this part of the meeting coming in. May have to have a little talk with them. Or you can either have a little embedded training that could be from you, like, hey, Mike, you know, or, or hey, anybody, you know, here's the impact stage. So your playbooks can actually get built right in there. So again, you're using the system day in and day out. And that's, you know, that's how we get better. That, that's how the rest of the team gets to move you know, with a superstar, which, which may actually be a superstar or may actually just has, you know, the superstars territory, which, you know, if, if, if we're all being honest, we know that there are those elements, not all territories are created equal, which is by the way, the other thing that, uh, Dr. Deming in the, in the, in the, the, the quality element of this realized that, you know, not all territories are equal. So, so yes, you have to hold people accountable and yes, you have to grow, but to think that Peoria is going to grow at the same rate as, you know, St. Petersburg, Florida, you know, you're crazy. I mean, it's like, there's just completely different dynamics. And so, but that goes to leadership discussions about, Hey, how are you building territories and how are you holding people accountable when, you know, there is no parity of territory. So we, we have to look at different ways on how we, how we motivate and compensate. Got it. And I know that when I was doing my research on you for this interview, I, I did see the name of the uh, CRM, but I did, forgot to write it down. What's the name of the CRM? Membrane. M-E-M-B-R-A-I-N. -E yeah. Okay. If, if, if anybody is in the midst of looking, and, and oddly enough, that one company that everybody knows that has a CRM that starts with an S and ends with an E, um, there's a lot of companies that have recently done that have moved away from that. And, and the ROI from moving away is actually pretty fast. Yeah, I, I've but actually never been a fan of Salesforce. Uh, it, it, I, I think it's great for an enterprise organization with you know hundreds or thousands of salespeople that can afford to have a full-time Salesforce administrator, but it, it, it's, it's very expensive. It's, I, I always describe it as Salesforce is a 
Maserati, but most people don't need a Maserati. A Chevy does a great job and it's a far less expensive and it's just right for most people. Uh, but so, yeah, uh, uh, I'm not the hugest fan. It, it, I yes. find it very complicated to use. Even as a manager, I mean, I, I've always had, when I've worked with organizations as an outsource sales manager that are using Salesforce, I've always got to go to somebody else to help me develop reports. It's just yeah, give, give me these three reports so I can have some metrics, which usually end up getting exported to a spreadsheet, which means we're back to where we were. <laughs> exactly right. When we started. So if somebody wanted to take control of their success in sales right now, what, what should they be doing? Oh, great question. So number one, find the voices. Like I think maybe it was... Um, you and I, before we went live or or as you started this, there's so much training out there right now. There's so much information. Uh, I would start by studying my clients. Like what, how do they use my product? How does it, how does that relate to their business? I would become experts on my clients. Or if you want to move, I would find a, a industry that you, have a passion for wanting to learn more because the real magic is going to come in the future when, when they need answers. They, I mean, our clients need answers and ultimately salespeople are the ones that can, we're the change agents. We're the ones that are help, supposed to help them see around the corner. This again goes to the guide, you know, the guide archetype. We should be sales is navigational. So we should help them set these aspirational goals. And you can't do that until you learn about the client's business and how they use whatever product or service you sell and all the stuff surrounding that. I would start with that. I would then build a list of, uh, if you're responsible for new sales uh, or, or even growth within your existing, I would build a list, take the time and build it in advance. So many salespeople show up. It's like, oh, I got a prospect now. I'll say, well, who am I going to call? I'm going to call these guys. Well, all right, where are the, where's their number? Then you waste a ton of time. You got to put the mindset on that when it's prospecting time, and it should be every day, whatever time works for you, you show up with that list so that you're just you're just doing, you know. When they go to practice putting, they're not like, where are golf balls? You know, I wonder where my shoes are. <laughs> I, let's see, what putter should I use today? You know, what, what, what course should I go to? We have so much stuff going on. You got to strip all of the barriers away because our brains are, you know, we're going to seek like, you know, the sofa. <laughs> we're going to seek to just like, I just want to do nothing. So you got to remove those barriers so that when it's time to execute, you can actually execute. And then the other thing, be humble and be willing to screw up. Uh, and if you don't have a manager or a company that supports that, then, you know, maybe look around because uh, we're in the age of iteration. You know, we're in the age of asking questions. Um, you know, we, we have to interact with chat GPT and, and all the new AI stuff coming. Well, you do that by asking it questions. So the, the skill, oddly enough, that makes us really marketable, our ability to ask questions, to build authentic relationships well, guess what the dark gun, you know, tech of the future needs people that can ask the right questions and ask the right queries like that. You know, we're, we're seeing a blending of, of skill sets that we're supposed to be fostering. That's going to be vital for the future, you know, language and communication. What do salespeople do? That's our world. And what, what's AI? It's a lay, lay, what language learning model or, 
I'm, I'm forgetting one part of it, but like that whole model of tech, that's what, you know, that's the world that we live in. So uh, I would do those three things and then just, you know, set goals that freak you out. You know, don't just take the goal that the, the company gives you, set goals that freak you out because the goals are, that's what pulls us. You, you go through that transformation. It's like when you go on a journey, you know, the destination, that's cool. That's celebrating. But the transformation comes from going through the stuff every day. That's great. Uh, yeah. As you can probably imagine, I love what you said about asking questions. To me, that's the essence of selling. It's not about your presentation. It's not about your clothes. It's ask great questions and listen to the answers. <clears throat> and for those of you who aren't aware, on this past Monday, we had a bonus session of the Sales Pro Network at four o'clock. And I uh, had my friend Joe Applebaum, who's an AI expert, come on. And he spent an hour just showing us how to use AI in sales. You can find that on our YouTube channel, the Sales Pro Network in the Sales Pro Network itself, in the in the archives, or if you go to my LinkedIn feed, you'll find it there. Uh, and you said it, it's, it's, they're called prompts instead of questions. It, it's all about how do you know how to ask it the right questions, which are called prompts. And I'm actually creating a, a, a training on that myself using AI and sales. And I also love what you cool. said about, you, know, you gotta understand about what your clients want. I think your clients are your best source of intelligence, asking them for feedback. You know, we think we know, why people buy, but often you're, we're, I, I'm not going to speak for every, often I'm stunned by why people really do business. I, I, I can't help but share this with you. I, I did a six month engagement with a fairly large company um, who was, they're in the ser not server maintenance, they, uh, they have um, load balancers. They, they develop load, they manufacture load balancers. It's computer hardware. It doesn't matter what it does. Uh, it's cool, but it doesn't matter what it does. But they had been selling to the small to medium business market for 16 years, got in touch with me, said, we want to sell to the enterprise market. We don't know how to do that. So I worked with them for six months and we broke them into the enterprise market. But here's my point. At, at the end of the engagement, I was sitting with all the sales managers, the VP of sales and all those people. I said, you know, what could I have done better? What did you like? What did you, you know, all that kind of stuff. And to a person, every manager said, the thing we like best is that our salespeople now have more confidence. Now, it never once in all the years that I've been doing this, it never occurred to me that what, what I do is I give salespeople more confidence. So finding out what, re, what, what you sell, what your product or service really does for your prospects is amazingly useful because you can bet that now every time I'm talking to a prospect, I'm saying, well, one of the things that my prospect, my clients tell me they like best about working with me is that when I'm done, their salespeople have more confidence. Never would have thought of that on my own. So it's, it's really not about what we think. It's what the customer thinks. That's gold. That, that, that is, yeah, that's absolute gold. I, it, I'm stunned by how many company leaders, uh, CEOs don't want to know what the customers really think. Yeah, they don't want to go like they have their, and I can't understand it because it's like, it's like getting the cheat code. You know, they, they tell you exactly why they do business with you in their words, which guess what? There's other people like them that could buy from you that all of a sudden their words are going to be more meaningful than what our marketing. And by the way, marketing should go with us from time to time, you know, uh, like put them in the seat and like, Hey, all the stuff you guys in marketing do, that's great. Hop in the car. Let's go talk to a breathing, you know, real person and, and watch what happens. Like it, there's, this is again, the thing that like, this is where I think small and mid-sized companies can really help drive the future since they employ 85% of them. You know, don't fall for like, 
I think part of the other problem that we had in sales is that we all fell down the, the, the SaaS model. I thought, well, this is the way SaaS does it. So like, that's the way we got to do it. Well, I'm working with manufacturing companies right now and they don't want the SaaS model. They got a slow way down. They're talking about building equipment. They're talking about nine month uh, lead times on new equipment and, and how they ramp up, you know, production and, what what are the engineering drawings? Like, I think we we tried to oversimplify it, or we all got enamored with with tech. And and I, and I love tech, but you know, it, we have to really look at the world that our client lives in and and understand that. And and if we do that, then you know, then we're going to have a leg up on all of our competitors. Yeah, that, that's look. There's nothing wrong inherently with the SaaS model, but uh, here's what I, I, I find constantly. For just, SaaS. You know, we're, we're, we're doing demos and we're not closing business. Well, yeah, here's why. Because you're doing demos. You're not actually engaging in a conversation with people. Right. Want to do better demos? Include some questions for the prospect. Don't just show them. It, it, it's yeah. And, and I, I love what you said about CEOs who don't want to know what the customer's thinking. That That's as crazy as people who don't want to don't want to deal with customer service complaints. You'll like this, Mike. So uh, I did a lot of business with Citibank for several years all over the country. And at one point, they brought me in to uh, do a, a speech for 500 branch and assistant branch managers. And the speech was supposed to be all about how do we keep people in the branch? Because it was just when you know online banking was starting out. And so I put together this talk. And at the end of the talk, uh, uh, I have a manager comes up to me. And you know, you, know, you know, when you give a talk, people want to shake your hand. They ask you questions. This guy said, I don't know what to do, Jeff. I've got a drawer full of customer complaints. I don't know what to do with them. I'm like, are you kidding me? You're out of your mind. You deal with them. You, you contact the people who are complaining. You take care of them. Because, I mean, my friend Rich Atkins, who, uh, who said he just did a customer service training for a company, and the, the, the manager stayed for the first team minutes left. He could teach you. <laughs> When you, when you take care of a customer complaint, you often have the ability to turn a complainer into a raving lunatic fan who will spread the word for you. Ignoring it is crazy. I mean, your customers are the best source of business intelligence there is. So, so yeah. we talked a little bit uh, about you know the future for salespeople. What can salespeople do now to prepare for that future? Uh, I would get used to, uh, I'd start playing with the AI tools. Uh, I'm, I use three or four of them um, weekly, if, if not daily. Uh, Chat GTP is, uh, you know, it's 20 bucks a month and you get like top of the line access. It's, it's rather astounding, especially if you're kind of, if you're working with a smaller company and you're more of a, you know, one person show, uh, it, it's like having a virtual assistant. So I would, I would get used to that. I would study the market that you're in. I mean, we, we, we have to get really bad. It's we're in the era of cu customer centricity and we have to get deeper into our customer's business. And then, you know, just keep working on your skills in whatever skills that you feel you uh, need work at. I mean, we all know when you, when you get, get out of the shower, look in the mirror when, you know, you can't, you can't hide or lie. <laughs> I mean, you can, but you know, you're doing it and go, what do I have to get better at? And, and, and that's okay. Like, cause, cause you're never done. Uh, you know, the, the best in the world practice what they do every day. And so all we have to do is, is, is do that. Just adopt the mindset that you're going to continually get better every day. And, yeah. uh, that alone will set you ahead of most. Absolutely. Tony Robbins, who I'm a big fan of, calls it Kanai, C-A-N-I. 
constant and never-ending improvement. And he, taking this right from him, you just get a little bit better every day. Not even every day, a little bit better once a week. That's 52 improvements. You can't help but be doing better at the end of the year if you're doing just a little bit better each and every week. Um, I, I, I was reading your LinkedIn post, and in a recent post, you talked about purpose being the catalyst for action. What should we know about purpose and how can we use that knowledge to help us be more successful? So the uh, a lot of what was done in sales was all about extrinsic motivation, you know, hanging the thing out there, go win, you know, go win the bell, go ring the bell, be the, and, and turns out that at least half, if not more, are not motivated by that. They're motivated by internal drive. And, and by the way, internal drive, want, is way more powerful need. So the way to really trigger ourselves, if, if we need to, uh, if we want to have motivation, it, it, we have to find the purpose that is going to drive us, which it could be our goals. It could be wanting to, um, it could be wanting the boat or wanting the house or wanting the cottage or funding the college or maybe funding the college for someone else, or maybe joining a company that you know makes a difference in people's lives. But that you know, mindset, and this is where, you know, the archetypal stuff gets so powerful that putting that on, it protects us on who we are, but then it, it gets to tap into the things that really drive us. And if you grab that purpose, that blows away, you know, the monthly quota number, because you're now driving to something much bigger. And so it's a bit of a mind trick because the brain doesn't know the difference. The brain is going to act on what we give it to do. The, the, that's why, you know, I think I, I've started using this term that sales is navigational. We have to figure out where our clients are setting their sights on and we have to help set the sights on where we can be the most helpful. By the way, another thing that you said that I totally love is that, you know, as if I adopt the guide mindset, if, if where I know how to go, if the maps I know how to create are not where you need to go, I need to be the first one to say, hey, Jeff, I, you know, I understand that this is where you're going. I'm not the guy. You, know, you, need, to, you need to look for someone that's like this, this, or this. And, you know, and the funny thing is when you start to do that, you're going to see your client go, wait, wait, wait no, what, what, wait, what do you mean? Like, we want to work with you. It's like, well, I don't do, you know, we do this. Well, well, that's kind of what we want. All right, well, then maybe we need to talk more. But I'm getting off track. The purpose is the magnet that really pulls us, and it allows us to strip away those things that are holding us back. Yeah, so it's we a long way to around know. to get to the we final point. We need to know point. our why, right? We need to know our purpose. Absolutely. Yeah. And, yeah. and your wants. You know, the, the goals that you want, uh, The you know, in our, in our culture, we, we seem to kind of, degrade what people want and we feel like we have to justify what we want no have to your want is is the purpose of why you do what you do so long as you're not you know hurting anybody or doing anything illegal set that as where you want to go and it will just it'll pull you towards those activities because you end up stripping away all the stuff that's holding you back yes and i find so many people don't invest the time in themselves to really think about what is my why? What is my purpose? I know for me, it's take great care of my kids who are almost at the age where I don't have to take care of much anymore. Maintain my lifestyle. I don't need to be a gazillionaire. I don't need to live in a mansion. I, I, I very much like my life and I just want to be able to maintain that. And 
I don't want to sound altruistic, but I love helping people. I want to serve as many people as I possibly can. And I don't say that to be, I mean, Absolutely. I, I, do, I do love that. And I love getting paid for, for helping people. So, I mean, it, it all works out. But if you're not aware of what your why is, then you're kind of fumbling around and hoping that things are going to work out. And you and I both know hope is never a great strategy. It's great motivator. It's, it's hope is the number one motivator towards getting to the want. But you have to build a strategy to to get it behind there, and that's you know hope and want really go they, they go together really well. Yeah, you're you're so right. If you ask somebody to sit down and say, "Hey, so what do you want?" It, it takes it takes time. You have to you have to work to kind of figure out well, what you know what what do I want? Because you hear all the noises. You know, your aunt said, "Well, you can't you can't do that." You know, you don't deserve to have that. Or you have like you know, there's just as you said, head trash. There's so much stuff floating around in there, you get to want what you want and you don't have to justify it to anybody. And if you sit with some time and, and really understand that and let yourself be that, then you'll start to really find, you know, the, the motivators and the things that will pull you towards your, towards the goals that you want. And that's also useful in dealing with prospects. I, I don't know if you know my friend, Todd Capone, he wrote uh, the transparency. Oh, yeah. so brilliant book. Uh, I mean, just phenomenal. He talks about transparent negotiations, which simply means, tell me what you want. I'm going to tell you what I want. Let's see if we can come together rather than let's, let's see how, how much I can pound somebody else and get the most. Uh, it, it really right. is about being transparent, knowing what you want and finding out what they want and then coming together. Uh, Mike, I'm looking at the time. We only have, I've got like 75 more questions, uh, but we only have time for one more. So let's do this one. Um, Cross-selling and upselling can be a great way to drive revenue. What should we know about cross-selling and upselling? Uh, flip the model and uh, look, it, look at the cross-sell and upsell opportunities through the lens of your client. And if you, uh, I've got a really simple strategy I use. Um, I use. I use the word grow, G-R-O, and then the number two, and then W. And so they can write this down. It's super easy. You start with the goals that are the client's goals, not your goals. So as you look at the cross-sell and upsell opportunities, how would those products or services benefit your client? What goals might they have or those fit in? The R is for the requirement. What requirements are they going to have internally? You know, the hurdles they have to jump, the people they have to get on board, you know, what are those going to be? What are the obstacles is the first O. Help them uncover all the obstacles. What are the opportunities if they uncover those and then show them the way? So cross-selling was always challenging because it's like, all right, I sold this product. Right now I got to go try to sell this one. Well, if you flip it around, it's like, all right, we're, we already have, we're helping them with this. What else are they dealing with? You know, and what do I have in my, uh, in my warehouse or in my arsenal or you know, what, my backpack? What do I have that could help them with those goals. And if you just flip it around and align what you have to where they want to go and what their priorities are and what they're trying to achieve, then then you become the person that mends it right in and you can help, you know, help take them there without trying to like, you know, have to force will on them. Great stuff. Mike, I could actually talk to you all day, but we are out of time. Unfortunately, Adam Rabinovich just asked a great question, which is Where's the best place to connect with Mike? So, Mike, I'm sharing my screen right now. Would, would you tell everybody uh, who cannot see this, because this will be converted to a podcast soon, uh, how, what's the best way to reach you and connect with you? 
Yeah, best way to reach me, uh, you can send me an email, uh, Mike at Blue Sales Fly, uh, each word just like it sounds, Blue Sales Fly, uh, or I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn, last name is K-O-O-R-Y, and uh, I'm happy to connect. You want to give out a phone number to reach you, uh, Mike? I can talk to you all day long as well. You want to give out a phone number to reach you? Yeah, uh, you, you can call or text me, 616-916-9855. Mike, uh, thank you so much for the time you've invested with us today, for sharing your brilliance generously. It's been a great conversation. I hope you'll come back another time. And I'll end as I always do, my friends. Sales is a game of making things happen. So get out there and make sales happen. Have a great weekend, everybody. Thanks again, Mike. Amen. Thank you. Bye-bye.